This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Humboldt Urban Market and Mocha Humboldt. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. We are fortunate to have with us Jesse Duncan as our guest for this episode. Jesse was born and raised right here in Humboldt County and until very recently lived here and had done so all his life. But as we'll hear, Jesse recently made a decision to relocate to a new job close to Santa Barbara a decision directly related to the state of the cannabis industry here in the Emerald Triangle. We should mention that until earlier this month, Jesse authored a weekly column called The Cannabis Conversation, which ran on the Lost Coast Outpost. The Outpost is owned by the same company as the Humboldt Chronicles. Yeah, and you know, Larry, Jesse brings a unique perspective to our discussion on this episode of The Chronicles. After earning a bachelor's degree and then an MBA at Humboldt State, Jesse worked in the finance industry and later started NorCal Financial and Cannabis Consulting, aiming to help small farmers navigate the complex commercial environment. After many years working in cultivation here in Humboldt, Jesse very recently took a position as grow manager at Glasshouse Farms. That's a large greenhouse operation near Santa Barbara. Let's hear from Jesse. So I was born and raised in Humboldt. I was born in Eureka in the late 70s. Went to school at Humboldt State, studied Spanish and international studies, uh, ultimately picked up my MBA up there. And then right out of school, went into financial advising. So I worked for three years with a major wirehouse, another few years for a private company, and then had my own registered investment advisory firm for the last four years. Uh, Mom got sick with cancer for a second time in, I guess, early 2014. So I retired abruptly, Um, started actually cannabis caregiving for mom, and the rest is history. Yeah, kind of just decided to stay in the space after her passing about six months later, and then ultimately transitioned into commercial farming, and I've been doing that ever since. And all of your professional activity to date was up here in Humboldt County? Yeah, absolutely. Been there my whole life until uh, five weeks ago. So five weeks ago, you decide to relocate to Southern California. What occasioned that move? You know, it's something that I've been toying with for a couple of years, uh, frankly. The the first time Humboldt saw a real dip in prices in the cannabis space was late 2017. That's where, you know, a year prior, depths were trading around 18, 1900 pound. We opened up that year closer to 11 to 12, closed the year around 5 to 7. Uh, what I saw at that time, for better or worse, is that there were a lot of promises that were unfulfilled. Uh, compensation was an issue. And frankly, as the industry started to suffer again a couple of years ago, I started to see that same pattern resurface where bonuses that were promised weren't coming through. Compensation was getting further and further behind throughout the season. Started to hear stories about farms laying off folks, uh, about folks working an entire season for essentially no compensation at the end of the story when pounds weren't sold. So I really started to toy with the idea of getting out of the area, scaling up to a larger corporate entity, and ultimately made that choice uh, just a few weeks ago. Although there's a fair amount of mythology attached to the good old days of humble cannabis, what is true is that wholesale pound prices have declined precipitously since the 215 era and are continuing to do so. 
We asked Jesse if he thought this would be a continuing trend. I absolutely think that the general trend is going to be less profitable. I think what we'll see is something more like a restaurant model, ultimately, where three to five percent profits, uh, you know, you're you're fairly happy with things. I, I do believe that there'll be some breakout performance to the upside. I think that if you ultimately have a brand or a series of brands that are highly sought after in a national or even global context, I think we could see price for that product actually melt upwards. I had a conversation with an indoor producer recently doing 24 to 2700 a pound in today's market where the average ticket is closer to seven to nine. So I, I really think that there will be some people that surprise to the upside. I think we could see pounds trading for many thousands of dollars in that very limited aspect. But I think for most folks, uh, that profitability uh, is long gone for sure. Are there people in Humboldt growing product that uh, would bring what you're talking about there? I think there's a few. I know a few folks uh, that are growing indoor and still doing quite well on both the illicit market and the regulated. I know that there's a few folks that are selling light depth flour uh, in packages, right? Mainly in, in one eighth jars and such that are, are still doing well above market. But anyone involved in bulk sales is realizing, frankly, that uh, that the trend is decidedly downward. Uh, four to five hundred. I've heard this week. I talked to a couple distributors from Humboldt, a couple others down south. Two fifty to three fifty for mid-grade depths, up to five fifty for like really top of the line uh, bulk products. So, for my dime, if you haven't been successful in branding, if you're not getting stuff into packages and onto dispensary shelves under your own label, uh, you're barely hanging on at best. And if you have any production hiccups and the like, um, frankly, you're facing bankruptcy. When you talk about these price differentials, what are the factors that make one product worth more than another? I mean, I think there's certain criteria around the flower that people are looking at, flower size, the flower structure, the outer trichome layer, the smell, the flavor. But I think a big part of it is, you know, who do you know? So do you have friends in the right places? And do you have an exceptionally unique story uh, that people are gravitating towards? You know, I think of someone like Lindsay Renner from Native Humboldt, who's, you know, an indigenous woman with a small farm who is very passionate about her craft, is gaining real notoriety in terms of the speaking circuit and the like. And, you know, someone like that is selling packaged product and doing okay. Um, but for the run-of-the-mill family farm and even the run-of-the-mill corporate operator, you know, it's exactly the opposite. You're competing in a highly overly saturated bulk market. And most product, even though we all like to think that what we grow is the best thing since sliced bread, it's often not the case. And as I look around and I see hundreds and hundreds of photos a week of cannabis uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn in real life, and it kind of mostly just looks like weed. Uh, and every now and then you actually do see something that is truly special. And again, that's that size, that's flower structure, it's outer trichome layer, and then ultimately it's smell and user experience. Um, but most folks are just growing average wheat, and average wheat is going for very low prices. So above cultivation, further on up the chain, uh, what about distribution and retailers in a place like Humboldt County? What do you see the future there? Well, I mean, if you talk to retailers and, and folks in Distro and Humboldt, they're also suffering. I hear three to five percent margins is 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 kind of where people are. Um, frankly, if you read about dispensaries across California, a failure to pay. So the 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 money flow from 
retail back to distribution, back to farm level is, is it a snail's crawl? You're hearing more and more stories about failure to pay. Um, and frankly, that's a shame. Uh, most of us are rooting for more retail shelf space, but obviously as there's more retail competition, margins are going to decline further. Um, and frankly, for the very first time recently, I'm starting to see publications that are talking about vertical integration actually being a hindrance, not the save all that many folks thought it was. It's it's expensive to be vertically integrated and uh, as business slows and prices come in, uh, budgets and such and, and the revenue needs to support that model are, are just much higher. So if you get a micro business license, you can you can become vertically integrated, at least as far as what your license allows. You can provide cultivation and manufacturing and distribution and retail. But very few people, at least that I know of here at Humboldt, have taken that route of that, that level of vertical integration. And I guess the question is, is, is that just something that's kind of too complex or too expensive for most of the Humboldt scale operators to do? Well, this is actually something I'm really passionate about. I think that Humboldt, uh, a major focus for Humboldt could indeed be the micro business license. There's a few out there. Uh, Mocha, for example, was recently did quite well at the state fair. There's some folks I know in Arcata that are that are doing pretty well as a micro. The challenge really there is zoning restriction. So it's it's not everywhere that you can functionally do these activities. And so one thing I'd like to see the county do is just be a lot more flexible in allowing a small family farm, for example, to cultivate, process, and manufacture on site in a very streamlined fashion. And if that could be the case, uh, I think it could be a real play. You could have mom and pop, they could perhaps have someone who's skilled at making hash join the operation, do an in-house packaging operation fairly efficiently. And I think that could be a really, really nice thing. And once again, I think the county would need to really help streamline that and be a lot more uh, permissive in terms of the zoning restrictions and such. Jesse, following up on that what about co-ops? Is it possible that the establishment of co-ops could help smaller businesses like we're talking about here achieve some measure of vertical integration as they uh, band together in co-ops? I would say that inherently I really like the idea of a co-op. Uh, the concern that I have really is that it, as you talk to distributors, you talk to retailers uh, again and again and again, they come back with consistency and quality. And as you guys very likely know, we could have the same strain grown in 10 different areas of Humboldt at different elevations, different relative humidities, different cultivation practices. And that product could look very different. Um, it, frankly, there's some connoisseur consumers who think that's a really neat thing. But if I'm trying to buy a thousand pounds for my distribution network and I get the same flower that looks radically different in each 50 or 100 pound segment, that's not very efficient and, and it's not very sought after. So I think the challenge in the co-op model is going to be really finding that harmony of grow climate and process that would really increase and improve the uniformity, quality, and consistency. If you could do that, I think it's a home run. Um, but right now, people are dabbling with that model and there's been you know folks that have really tried to anchor themselves in and distributing craft product and and they found that it was a tough go and i think that that's partially why is just that the consistency isn't quite there and 
as you well know, as we move into a consumer packaged goods model, you want your Doritos to taste the same every time. And, and I think people, at least on the sales side, want that with the cannabis that they're purchasing and they're not finding it. There is a major event that everyone says is just over the horizon that will have a profound impact on the California cannabis market that we haven't yet discussed. Federal legalization. Looming may be the best way to describe the presence of nationwide legalization. No one knows what it will look like, what precise form it will take, when it will happen, or precisely how it will impact our situation here in Humboldt. But even with all this uncertainty, it's difficult to find someone who doesn't think it will happen sometime, somehow. We asked Jesse how he thought a national market would affect Humboldt. I think it's a a benefit in the very near term. I think what will happen is things will open up nationally, um, prices will firm, demand will increase, but in very short order, and I mean a year or two, if you look at Oklahoma, if you look at some of these other states that have recently come online, you even look at California, production tends to come and catch up with that increased demand very quickly. And what I think will actually happen now, and my views on this are, are sort of morphing over time, is I think that the real floodgate of, of capital investment, mergers and acquisitions, um, and really big corporate money comes in in a national context. I think that you got big pharma, you've got tobacco, you've got beverage. Uh, ultimately, uh, there'll be financial players involved if there's ever a futures market. So I think things are just going to get so big, so fast that the bottom's going to fall out again. It's along the way. Can you do well enough that couple of years on a corporate context, stock values firm, you can access new capital in the markets. You can exercise your warrants and options and probably be okay. Small farmers, there could be a lot of wind in their sails for a couple of years. Um, And during that time, you damn well best build a brand that you haven't built to date. Because if you don't, I really think the bottom is going to fall out even more aggressively than you've seen. You look at Colombia, you look at Mexico, now Thailand, Africa. It's all over the place. And there's new markets coming online all the time. And We'll get to a day and time where there's just so much weed everywhere, um, the prices are going to go down precipitously. So I think it's a near-term opportunity set. It will be another opportunity to brand for some. But I I really now believe that a national and global context is uh, just going to only further increase competition and price pressure, honestly. And you'd written recently that you think that cannabis tourism is something that could be beneficial for Humboldt County. I was wondering if you could... Expand on that a little bit and, and, and tell me what your what your ideas are. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to folks like I did, like Brian Applegarth, uh, very, very passionate about cannabis tourism, really excited about the global opportunity. Uh, Forbes did a piece where, you know, revenues are now many billions of dollars a year based on cannabis tourism. Uh, that tends to be great for the hospitality industry. It's good for dispensary sales. Uh, and frankly, I think that's a path where small farms can really showcase their love, whether it be their homestead or their regenerative processes. I think that that's a way to create a real relationship with folks. But if that's not coupled with on-site sales, again, I think we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. I, I do believe that cannabis tourism is something folks are interested in. I love touring greenhouses personally, and I work in cannabis, right? For a lot of folks, it's novel. It's exciting to be able to touch a plant, to smell the fresh flower. It's a really unique experience. 
But to, to really make that work well, people need to be able to consume at those visits and they need to be able to buy what they see. And so if all that comes together, it could be a real home run. Um, obviously, as I wrote about in that piece and as those before me, the study from Humboldt State that I referenced uh, so aptly noted is access to these farms is is kind of limited. Uh, does ADA compliance get involved? I mean, it, it's there's some complexities there. But I think the short answer is that it's something folks would be excited about. Uh, people truly believe that Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle, given the history, uh, that we've got a real value play there, that there's a real storyline there. There's a love and an ethos in our community that people would be attracted to. And I agree. Next, we'll ask Jesse about a topic that, like federal legalization, comes up again and again on the Humble Chronicles and, also like legalization, is surrounded in a mist of uncertainty. The value of the Humble brand. You're listening to the Humble Chronicles, back in a moment. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles, where we're continuing our conversation with Jesse Duncan, former financial consultant based in Humboldt, now the grow manager for Glasshouse Farms in the Santa Barbara area. Given Jesse's financial and cannabis background, we asked him his thoughts on the value of the Humboldt brand. There is some value in the Humboldt brand, but it seems to me some years ago, it was taken as an article of faith that the humble brand would give us such a big marketing advantage, and that hasn't really come come to pass, at least not yet. So I'm wondering what you think about the value of the humble brand and uh, to what extent it depends on a pretty large-scale marketing scheme to enhance its value. So, I mean, firstly, I would, I would agree. Humble is, is well-known. Uh, you talk to folks across the states, they they know humble. They they know organic sun grown is a thing. Um, I really think that yes, Humboldt absolutely needs a very loud, very clear, unified marketing campaign uh, that really tells its story proudly. But what I'd also say is that as competition increases, as as product proliferation continues to expand, what we once thought was was really truly the best of the best is is now just becoming more commonplace and there's other places now even growing outdoor there's other states bringing outdoor capacity on you know greenhouse product is out there now mixed light and indoor um, in ample quantities and so i'm thinking that consumer preference is changing and what someone might have said was triple a top-notch flower three years ago they're now saying mm, it's a little larfy or ooh, it's a little sterile. Uh, the buds are a little rounded. They don't have a lot of contour and structure, which is what you often see by the time outdoor flower is dried. And so I really think that consumer preference is changing. Competition is coming along uh, very quickly. And so I guess that's my short answer. I think Humboldt still has a play. I think there is something about history and, and legacy and cultivation practice and regenerative ad that will attract some consumers. Uh, but I think that's a small segment of the market. Uh, we know in California, about a third of shoppers are looking for high THC. About a third of shoppers are looking for low price and about 30% are shopping based on flavor. So if you're not producing really high THC flour or really low cost flour, you're in essence excluding two thirds of the California consumer and and not a ton of family farms, I don't think are, are really jumping on that bandwagon fast enough. 
So if Humboldt still has a play with regard to the Humboldt brand, as you just said, and maybe there's only a third of the market out there that would be interested, what does Humboldt County do? Uh, what do the what do the cultivators here do? What do uh, what does the Humboldt County Growers Alliance do? What does the county do uh, to make that play to uh, that third that might be available? First, I think they need to unify. So the fact that you have HCGA on one side of the fence. And then during the Remember the Meserest campaign uh, to to reduce cultivation taxes, someone from Humble Grace, who I, I don't really know too many of the folks from Humble Grace, but jumped on that call publicly and said, well, HCGA has got 20% of the cultivators. We're the other 80%. We disagree in views. So first thing the community needs to do is, is align and to really come together. Uh, even within Humble, you have larger farms looking down their nose at smaller farms, smaller farms arguing that the larger farms are too corporate and that they're screwing up the market. So I think unity is a huge deal. And I think that we need to market the diverse cultivation methodologies deployed in Humboldt. So yes, regenerative organic farming is a play. Uh, Coastal zone indoor though is a real differentiator because you need less environmental control, right? You need less EC and, and less, um, you know, certain controls in other places. There's a lot of people that believe coastal zone indoor is actually a differentiator. I think we need to market that. Our mixed light community, I think we need to market that aggressively. So I really think we put together a unified voice that says we've got history, we've got culture, we've got quality product across the spectrum. We're one unified voice uh, in love and solidarity. And you tell that story on every single social media platform. You tell that story at trade shows. Uh, you have to buy some print media and such. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is folks are running out of money. So as this marketing campaign discussion started heating up locally, it became, well, who the hell is going to pay for it? And I think that's where everybody is kind of left scratching their heads, right? You wrote in one of your columns, quote, production costs in uh, SoCal greenhouse facilities are a fraction of what they are up in the hills. And I was hoping you could expand on that a little bit. Why why are those costs so much lower than than what it would cost up here in Humboldt? So obviously that's a, a blanket statement. Not all hill growers produce at the same price and not all greenhouse growers produce at the same price. Uh, our stated production targets are $125 a pound. Our long-term targets here uh, are at 100 a pound. The farm that I was working on uh, very recently in Humboldt was was well over $400 a pound, spending huge amounts of money on diesel and propane, trying to heat heaters and run grow lights and, and produce more of a mixed light quality product, which was in a little higher demand in the market. But you even hear of, of pretty simple light depth operations producing at, at $350 a pound. And you know ultimately, if, if pounds are going for $400, um, that just doesn't leave a lot of meat on the bone. So what I'm seeing, for example, where I am currently is automation uh, is one of the, the huge differences. I mean, there's a planting line here where we're doing 40,000 transplants a day from clone to small container. Up in the hills, we do a couple thousand a day. Uh, there's machinery that, that, you know, whisks these things into the floor, uh, laces the pots out according to the spacing that you want. The floors themselves are flood floors. So instead of a human walking around trying to water, you know, all these small containers individually, there's literally a flood floor that comes up for 15 minutes, wets all the pots and drops away. 
uh, it took the click of one button in essence to water 35,000 of these small plants. So those kinds of economies of scale technology deployed, that's, what's going to drive costs lower. What's prohibitive about that all is, is the CapEx, right? Not a lot of people can buy an $800,000 planting line or a half a million dollar machine to lace these things out. And so frankly, we're seeing that it really was about who could get to market, who could raise capital, who could tool up and innovate to really drive those production costs much, much lower. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that small farms are very threatened by. And I understand that not everybody was able to make those kind of investments. Not everyone will ever achieve that level of efficiency. Um, and so now folks, of course, cry foul. It's an unfair playing field. It's this and that and the other. But access to capital, as you well know, in any business often becomes a differentiator. So how does Humboldt compete in the wholesale market, if at all, against? They don't, right. Yeah. If Humboldt is going to try and compete in wholesale flour, it's going to be much of the same, which is licenses are going to continue to lapse. Uh, owners are going to have to lay off all the employees, go back to doing the work themselves, which many have already done. Um, and then really hope that the crops, they can get yields up and, uh, and keep those costs down. But the wholesale market, I believe, um, is going to be dominated by larger producers at scale. I think that's a foregone conclusion. And so if you're not successful in making friends uh, in the right places, getting stuff in packages on dispensary shelves, getting stuff into the delivery services hands, I, I just don't see a, a huge future, honestly, which is, is sad. It hurts me too, but I think that the writing's on the wall, right? So is the best plan for Humboldt County sun-grown uh, producers around here to go for that, uh, whatever it is, 25, 30, 33% of, of the market? And if so, how? Well, I think that's the million-dollar question that folks are trying uh, to figure out. I really do believe that that without direct consumer access, so without the ability to sell at trade shows, without the ability to run your bed and breakfast, without the ability to be down at the farmer's market, I, I just see that as a real challenge. And again, we go right back to those budgetary constraints. Um, now there's so many labels on Instagram. There's more and more people hopping on LinkedIn. So you start to become one voice of many, many. And so I really think that you go back to it, notoriety. So can you somehow tell a really unique story that people gravitate to it on, on a personal level? Can you win some awards at some of these trade shows? I do think that's a path forward. Um, are you a breeder that continues to bring really exciting, special, highly sought after genetics to the table? Um, but just for, for just common folks, uh, doing the same thing and growing the same strains that everyone else is growing. I just don't see that as much of a differentiator. And frankly, uh, a lot of the market, a lot of the purchasing is also consolidating, is also becoming more corporate. And people are looking at outdoor flower largely as biomass, right? Which is, is a very low ticket item that they're going to use for either live extract or for other value added products. And of course, when folks are buying what they deem as a commodity, Small farmers don't like to hear that sun-grown flour is a commodity. I believe it's increasingly commoditized and will continue to be so. Prices tend to go down, and they tend to gravitate toward production costs, which you know, on these larger farms are, are getting lower all the time. 
You are listening to The Humble Chronicles. We're going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, we'll speak with Jesse Duncan about the presence and impact of the unregulated market, how Humble can avoid brain drain, and a few other topics. Back in just a moment. This is The Humble Chronicles, and in this segment, we asked our guest, Jesse Duncan, about a range of topics, starting with something that has an enormous impact on the Humboldt cannabis business, but that doesn't get a lot of discussion, the unregulated market. I want to ask you a question about a topic that, at least in my semi-informed perspective, seems like it, it is a pretty big deal, but it doesn't get discussed a lot on the Humboldt Chronicles for one reason or another, and that's the presence of the unregulated market. Some people estimate it at three quarters of the overall market. And even though I know that some cultivators, you know, make use of the unregulated market, it feels to me like this industry is fighting a serious uphill battle until it can get some control over the unregulated market. But I don't know whether I'm right or wrong about that. And I'm wondering what, uh, what your perspective is. Well, I think you're absolutely correct. The illicited market is, by all estimates, uh, dwarfs the legal market. Uh, as you know, larger and larger grows are springing up all over the place. Southern Oregon is a hot mess. Uh, the L.A. desert is exploding with very large unregulated grows. Um, you know, and I always look at this as, as, okay, well, most growers at some point participated in the unregulated market at some level. Um, that said, what we're seeing now in terms of the environmental disaster, the human trafficking component, uh, the violence, the threats, the lack of pay, and then importantly, the use of illegal pesticides. And that's where really my stomach for the illicit market is soured because they know frankly that this stuff is happening, it's pervasive, you can spray plants with a systemic poison or in a systemic insecticide once or twice all season and be done with it. These organic folks are out there, you know, frequently early on um, spraying plants during veg to keep them really healthy, using predator bugs, using companion planting, doing all these things to keep their plants clean. And the illicit market just doesn't really care about that, at least the, the large commercial illicit operators. Um, and frankly, the amount of illegal storefronts where you can go in and buy a product at half the cost of another, they're doing a lot of business, um, you know, but I really am concerned about the environmental toll, worker safety and product safety. Uh, in Humboldt, I, I believe the number, the last the sheriffs posted was around 4,000 illegal farms down from what, 15,000 at our peak. Uh, but there's still plenty of illegal product out there and they're competing oftentimes for the same customers, right? I mean, buyers will come to town and if they can find legal product at the right price, they'll buy it. If not, they'll, they'll buy something else. And burner distros is a real thing uh, on the, the quasi legal side, right? Um, it's, it is compounded as you mentioned, and that a lot of small family farms have been diverting a majority of their product over the years because the marketplace just wasn't there. That's a fact. 
I mean, California is producing many, many millions of pounds legally, except 2 million of that roughly has been sold in dispensaries, probably a couple million to derive products. Where's the other six to 8 million pounds going, right? It's not all going in the garbage and the mold didn't take it all, right? So the illicit market is a very complicated subject, um, but it's one of those topics, I think, that continues to give the industry a black eye on multiple levels. You know, we talk about we want to be participating in, in the local economy. We want to pay taxes. We want to do all these things. But if legitimate operators continue to also play that game, it's hard to really continue this process of professionalizing and legitimizing the industry. And I also don't think it helps other localities open their doors to the industry. I mean, over half localities have a ban on commercial activity in part, I believe, because of all this behavior. And so uh, it's complicated, but I don't think it's going anywhere in the near term. It strikes me that some of the folks in Humboldt may be very, very good growers, cultivators, some of the best anywhere. But in the model that we're talking about with you, are they going to need business managers? Are they going to need marketers? Are they going to need financial consultants? And if so, in a business where the margin is so thin, where does the money for those folks come from? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are certainly growers. Um, there's sort of this lasting stereotype that cannabis farmers can only farm cannabis and, and do nothing else. I disagree with that vehemently. I think that the cultivation community that I've met are oftentimes very intelligent people. They're very resourceful, oftentimes very handy, right, in multiple things because they had to be. They had to be electricians and plumbers and mm-hmm. farmers and the like. I do think based on the the consulting work I've done and conversations that I've had, sometimes those more formal business processes are a little bit lacking. So really uh, putting together a meaningful budget, being able to turn that into a timeline for activity flow throughout the season, managing your finances prudently, having the time even to really be pounding the pavement and focusing on sales. Uh, What you saw over the last several years is that a lot of owners got really sidetracked with the permitting process, with compliance, with metric, with all those other things that a lot of them actually handed the cultivation over to team members who, of course, weren't as good at growing the weed as they were. And so I think now, sort of by force necessity, the owners are going to be back in the dirt. But that really does lead me to question where they get the time to do everything. You know, consultancy, I think, is valuable, but it's expensive. I really do, in my heart of hearts, believe that some level of collaboration between the mom and pop grow and the corporate entity makes all the sense in the world. So whether that be at the genetics level, whether that be these partnerships between grower and distro and retail, whether it simply be knowledge and information sharing, networking, uh, speaking on panels together at events, sharing unique perspective. I think that those kinds of things are going to make a lot of sense. And being able to dovetail on the experience of some of those uh, other operations and the strengths they have, I think is critically important. So if I'm a small farmer, I want to have very good friends in distribution. I want to have very good friends in retail. Uh, those are the kinds of relationships that I'd be looking to build, manufacturing, right? And, and barring those relationships, I see it being a pretty tough slog. As we've mentioned, Jesse was, until very recently, a lifelong resident of Humboldt County who made the somewhat reluctant decision to relocate for professional reasons. Given that this area's long history of cannabis cultivation and the institutional knowledge thereby gained is frequently cited as one of our region's chief advantages, How do we create an environment that encourages Humboldt's best and brightest to stay right here? 
You're not the first person we've interviewed who's decided to leave Humboldt County and, you know, continue in the business somewhere else. Uh, you're in Southern California. We've also interviewed others who've done the arithmetic and thought it would be cheaper to uh, stay in this business in other states. So for a county like Humboldt, obviously the, the thing we cannot afford is to lose the best and the brightest, and uh, we don't want to have a brain drain. What, what do we do about that? I mean, lasting opportunity um, is you see and as you talk to family farms and, and some farms have been very public in this, wages are coming in, right? Where they used to be able to pay workers X, now they're forced to pay them Y. It's very rare on a family farm to find benefits, uh, health insurance, dental, 401k access, sick pay, paid time off year-round work, right, is another big deal. There's there's some farms that pay well, but a nine-month season for folks with families is is a short one. So I really think it at the end of the day, it boils down to long-term opportunity set. It boils down to compensation. boils down to valuing your employees, um, you know, being honorable, forthcoming, uh, truthful with folks. But at the end of the day, folks have to make a decision that they deem is best. Uh, mine right now was to leave the county. It was a hard decision. It's something I toyed with for a couple of years. Um, as you know, I maintained the home up there. I was actually in Humboldt over the weekend. had a lovely time. But uh, I felt professionally it was time to scale up because I really felt that that's where the industry was heading and that that's uh, where I needed to go personally. Based on your, you know, your many, many years of experience in the industry and here in Humboldt County and just focusing focusing strictly on Humboldt County. Uh, are you a long-term optimist or pessimist about the Humboldt cannabis industry? I, I'm unfortunately a pessimist. I really do believe that just the times are changing. Uh, cannabis was valuable when there wasn't a lot of it. Um, you look at any commodity in the world, and again, I know folks don't like using that term, especially in places like Humboldt, but as supply comes online, um, and if demand isn't keeping pace, prices go in one direction. And I think that that's the overall trend. I think that that's here to stay. I think there'll be a few breakout situations like we already discussed. But frankly, I believe the humbled economy, and it's hard for me to say this, I'm a homeowner in the region, but I think we're in for really tough sledding. You take a billion or two out of the local economy, uh, less demand for housing, less demand for durable goods. I see the economy uh, really slackening off there. I think, you know, uh, Cal Poly Humboldt can help. I think the, the aqua fish farms, which I believe the county needs, things like that can, can help. Uh, but without industry, um, not everybody can work in the service economy, right? And so I really am concerned about the long-term economic future of Humboldt. Deeply concerned, so much so is that I decided to leave the area for now. Well, all right. Are you ready to move to Santa Barbara yet? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I love Santa Barbara. What a beautiful area. But, uh, you know, just looking at the aerial pictures from that uh, region, some of the grow operations there are gigantic. It really, you know, it really is striking when, yeah. you, when you do that. And, and you get a real, literally graphic image of, of why it's so hard mm -hmm. to compete on these small farms that we have up here. Yeah. And like Jesse said, he is a pessimist as far as long-term Humboldt cannabis business goes. It's sad to hear, but, you know, he's looking at it from just a cold business standpoint, doing the arithmetic and not seeing too much of a way forward for us here. And he's not the first one we've talked to on this show who has left Humboldt. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 right. And nor is he the first person, even still here in Humboldt, who is is a little bit more pessimistic yeah. than they might have been a few years ago. Right. And I think there were some, you know, I, I'm not in a position to be pessimistic or optimistic. I think there were some assumptions that people made that didn't uh, pan out, or at least mm-hmm. haven't yet. Yeah. Uh, one of those being, you know, the the value of the Humboldt brand. Yeah, I mean, as we heard in the in the the second segment. I mean, clearly there is there is some value there. There absolutely is, and uh, people that we talk to who are not even from Humboldt know Humboldt and yeah. they know the association. And and there is an, not just an association with cannabis, but an association with quality cannabis. Mm-hmm. But you know, as we've heard from other people on this show and from Jesse tonight, it, unless you back that up with a very large and very well integrated marketing campaign yeah uh you you don't quite realize that full value yeah i mean the other thing to think about uh, if you're looking for uh for avenues of optimism is that you know things change right mm-hmm. i mean the we've already seen some small changes in in regulatory policy and we've heard you know calls for for more for broader reform basically across the industry yeah no matter where you're at there are people who are saying hey look this isn't working and i think that that idea is really getting through so there is some reason to believe that things might change on the regulatory front uh any brand new industry yeah. is going to go through some sort of period of of settlement you know yep. i mean there'll be things that people didn't anticipate and and you know and like we heard before uh, earlier in this episode, I think it was a point that you made. I mean, just because you grow the best cannabis on earth doesn't mean you're the best business person on earth. Yeah, that that's true. And, you know, the other thing uh, about the Humboldt brand that you mentioned there, um, as good as Humboldt product is, knowledge travels. So people who have worked in the business here and learned it maybe decide they are better off in a less expensive place to do business, but they take what they learned from here. So what we think of as exclusively Humboldt product can be replicated in other places, maybe not everywhere, but in some other places. And that uh, that's something that we need to consider. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and, and frankly, and I realize that this is, this is maybe trying to, to come up with something, but the truth of the matter is that... Uh, the Humboldt cannabis industry can be successful even without being a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. I mean, we, in, in some ways we don't really want that sort of infrastructure that we, we see when you do the aerial view of Santa Barbara. Yeah. I mean, if people can sustain their lifestyle, can make a living, can raise their families and can, can live, you know, in this, this land that we all love mm-hmm. and, and support themselves. I mean, in, in a way that's victory. Yeah, and you know, we've talked about that as well with uh, some of the folks uh, in the economic development sphere at uh, Humboldt County, and they agree that we just need our slice of this pie, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge slice. We just need our fair slice of this business and not the whole pie. We don't need the whole pie, just a slice. Right, the tasty part. Yeah, (laughs) maybe the best tasting part. 
I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guest, Jesse Duncan, for sharing his time and insights with us. And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Humboldt Urban Market and Mocha Humboldt. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of November. See you next time, November the 16th at 6 p.m.